0: Everybody, how's it going? This is Hub, and welcome back to another episode of Tighten Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. As I believe I just mentioned, my name's Hub, and I hope you're having a fine whenever the heck it is you end up listening to this. Me? Oh, I'm doing okay. I hope you like Rotini, because this show intro is gonna twist your noodles all the fuck up. Uh, that, that's actually as far as I got in terms of figuring out what I was going to talk about in the show intro. I got a little notebook and I was brainstorming last night and the only word written down is rotini. So I assume that was what I wanted to say, but it's honestly possible I might have just been starting a shopping list. Although that seems unlikely because I think Rotini's kind of a bullshit noodle. Give me a linguine or some other long thin noodle. You know, when you can twirl yourself on your fork instead of getting one that gives you the illusion of being pre-twirled like Rotini, but that doesn't have any of the sauce-retaining capabilities of a DIY twirling pasta. So, me at the beginning of this intro? When I said, I hope you like Rotini? I'm afraid your hopes were in vain, because I do not. Uh... All right, that's all I got right now. Let's talk about a comic book. Without any further ado, let's, uh, do this. Actually, you know what? A little bit of further ado. So, right before I recorded this intro bit, I was listening to the new episode of Garden Plots with Skeletor, and man, that show is so good. Like, you should really listen to it. Full disclosure... I do the voice of Merman on a couple of episodes, and on some upcoming episodes, I did a little bit of the writing. But with the exception of myself, uh, that show is put together by some of the smartest, funniest, and kindest people that I've ever had the pleasure of working with and listening to. And the show is just really, really good. It's warm and sweet and hilarious and has some legitimate gardening tips, which I had no idea I had any interest in. But if a podcast where Skeletor tries to do a podcast about gardening while trying to scheme to take over Eternia sounds interesting to you, then you should definitely check out Garden Plots with Skeletor. And if it doesn't sound like something that would interest you, you know what? Listen to it anyway, because you're wrong. Okay, uh, unsolicited plug over. Now, without any further ado, let's, uh, do this. Today's Synopsis Rhyme was sent in by John. Here's Hub, a human, man from Earth. Corey, his relative, from birth. Their odd show is just my bag. Fine, even though it lacks a tag line. Corey seems to get the worst parts. Often trapped or eating farts. Toilet spoon he'll use to slop piss, but Hub will deliver our synopsis. Thanks, John. A uh, couple of factual issues I'm going to clear up in this. First of all, yes, I am a human man from Earth. Well noted. I cannot stress that enough. Definitely from Earth. Cory, however, is not my relative from birth. He is in fact my stepbrother. I did not meet him until I was about six or so. And, well, Cory does often, in fact, get trapped in other dimensions. He still stubbornly refuses to eat his own farts, despite my many pleas to him to do so, as it is the most polite way of dealing with flatulence, is to cookie monster up your own farts so that you're the only person who has to smell them. I know the minutia song that Rick sings us every week, would seem to imply that Cory eats farts, but I gotta say Rick is giving Cory too much credit there. And as for a toilet spoon being used to slop piss, that is not what a toilet spoon is for. A toilet spoon it is a device used by very dramatic people who love to stir up shit. Cory is one of the least dramatic people that I know, and therefore would really have no use for a toilet spoon. Anyway, despite those slight factual errors, it was a delightful rhyme. Thank you, John. New Teen Titans, Volume 2, Number 24, October, 1986. Hell is the Hybrid. Written by Marv Wolfman, drawn by Eduardo Barreto, inked by Romeo Tangal, lettered by Bob LePan, colored by Adrienne Roy, and edited by Marv Wolfman. Teen Titan Roll Call, Wonder Girl, Cyborg, Beast Boy, Aqualad, Hooray, Speedy, The Flash, the Wally West one, Hawk, Robin, the Jason Todd one, and Jericho. Previously in the New Teen Titans, Raven was having a pretty rough time. After apparently dying during the process of rescuing the planet from her demonic bad dad who had been living in her bird-shaped soul tummy, the Azerathian empath was resurrected only to be kidnapped and brainwashed by the Church of Blood, an evil cult with an occasionally dead septicentennial leader. Starfire was having a pretty rough time. She took her boyfriend, Nightwing, on a vacation to her home planet Tamaran, where the spicy space princess was pressured into an arranged marriage. Coriander then got mired in a bloody civil war which saw her evil sister, the delightfully named Princess Commander, seize the throne from their ineffectual father, King D'Illwa'id. Nightwing was having a pretty rough time. The acrobat adventurer celebrated a bad birthday off-planet by sullenly nursing a cup of coffee as a bystander on his space girlfriend's honeymoon. He then returned to Earth alone, yelled at Wonder Girl, and headed out on a solo mission to rescue Raven from the Church of Blood. Unfortunately, he was captured almost immediately and, like his fellow bird-themed buddy before him, got his brain thoroughly laundered by the strangely sanguinary sect. Beast Boy was having a pretty rough time. The shape-shifting teen was concerned that his stepdad, Steve Dayton, the fifth richest and therefore fifth most trustworthy man in America, had been behaving in an increasingly erratic manner. The perturbed plutocrat had developed a debilitating addiction to wearing a magic hat, which he called the Mento Helmet, so I call the Freshmaker. The Freshmaker had ill-defined reality-warping powers, and as Steve used it more frequently, his own reality became increasingly warped and ill-defined. The bewildered billionaire began to focus all of his frustrations on his admittedly frustrating stepson, unfairly blaming Gar for the death of Steve's wife Rita and her Doom Patrol teammates. Donning the Freshmaker, Steve attacked the Titans, then fled, announcing his intention to use his vast fortune to create his own team of super beings. Beast Boy asked Wonder Girl to help him and Cyborg track down his fugitive father figure, but Donna was too busy helping her husband, Professor Terry Long, not write a paper, so Vic and Gar went it alone. The Titanic twosome found the Freshmaker a file holed up in an abandoned warehouse. Gar attempted to reason with the unhinged hat-addict, but reason was no longer a language in which Steve was conversationally fluent. He attacked Gar and Victor, nearly killing Vic. Beast Boy rushed his partly robot pal to the hospital where he underwent life-saving emergency surgery. Cyborg was having a rough time. He had to undergo life-saving emergency surgery. Wonder Girl was having a pretty rough time. Her husband, Professor Terry Long, needed help not writing a paper. In addition to that, the Amazonian Adventurer had received a request for the Titans to assist the government in a covert operation, but all of her teammates were otherwise indisposed. Rather than refuse the mission, Donna decided to flip through her Super Rolodex and assemble a new team of old Titans. The new old Titans team consisted of former Kid Flash and current regular Flash, Wally West, Speedy, Hawk, the current Robin, Jason Todd, and Aqualad. Hooray! The gang headed off to Switzerland to foil an assassination attempt by the feline-themed femme fatale, Cheshire. Unfortunately, the new-slash-old Titans roster was nearly as beset by personal problems as the old-slash-new Titans team. Aqualad was despondent over the recent death of his girlfriend, Tula. Wally was overwhelmed trying to live up to the legacy of his recently deceased mentor, Barry Allen. Jason was like 12. Speedy had secretly fathered a child with the assassin they were trying to thwart. Donna's husband really needed help not writing that paper, and Hawk was an asshole. Given these distractions, it was hardly surprising that the mission was a catastrophic failure. It turned out that Cheshire's job was not, in fact, to kill a group of dignitaries. Rather, the high-priced hit woman had been hired by the Church of Blood to discredit the Teen Titans in the eyes of the international press. She achieved this goal easily, forcing the Titans to reveal their presence as government agents and was supposed to be a private, unguarded diplomatic summit. Thoroughly dejected, our heroes headed home to the Titan Tower. Jericho was having a pretty rough time. After not appearing in several issues, the mutton-chopped Marvel went to his mom's house, painted a picture, then left it out in the rain. GADZOOKS! How will Steve Dayton attempt to prove Beast Boy was wrong about his mental instability? With Hawk and Robin taking up the slack for missing Titans, Raven and Nightwing, will the Titans be able to maintain their two-bird-themed member minimum? And did Terry Long ever finish that paper? Stay tuned to find out. Okay, so... By turning a dead Israeli commando into a flying dinosaur... No. And... No, he didn't, and consequently, he got fired. Hooray! At the base of Mount Olympus, a team of archaeologists employed by Dayton Industries is excavating a surprisingly well-preserved tomb. The team is led by a husband-and-wife team named Adonis and Angelica Ball. Angelica pokes around a bit and literally unearths some masonry that would seem to indicate that the tomb belonged to the mythological figure Medusa. Dang it, guys. Can you just leave her alone? God's already sent a sandaled fuckboy with a flying horse to break into her house and decapitate her because of her unconventional haircut and policy of discouraging eye contact. Now you're gonna grave rob her? Not cool. In addition to his general lack of respect for the dead, Adonis Ball has apparently never seen an adventure movie, because when he spots a large ruby embedded in a statue in an ancient tomb, he's like... Neat. Free Ruby. I can't foresee there being any unfortunate consequences to me yoinking this large, mysterious gem from a carving of a snake-haired lady. At least not unless you consider being stupid rich an unfortunate consequence. Which I don't. Yoink. Unfortunately for Adonis, Marv Wolfman has seen lots of adventure movies. As soon as the ruby is removed from the statue, the snakes on the statue of Medusa's head come alive and start shooting beams out of their eyes. One of the beams hits a laborer named Eris and turns him into stone. Bye, Eris! Eye beams also shoot at Adonis and Angelica, but Adonis manages to use his stolen gem as a prism and diffuse the ray so that instead of being turned to stone, the couple just ends up being put into comas. Their work crew carries the bodies out of the tomb. A few days later, a Dayton Industries helicopter transports the comatose couple to a secret lab where they are taken into the custody of their former employer, Steve Dayton. Steve isn't looking so hot. He's still wearing the Freshmaker hat and is pretty much just speaking in semi-coherent soliloquies about how sane he is. Not a great sign. Since his last appearance, he's grown a full beard and is in a wheelchair. In a long rant, Steve announces his intention to experiment on the inert archaeologists with the fictional nonsense metal I call Nonsensium, so that he can give them superpowers. They are to be the first members of his new team, which he will call The Hybrid. So, presumably, they'll get better gas mileage than a conventional supervillain team. Good for them. Meanwhile, at the Titan's T-shaped skyscraper, The new old Titans team that Donna put together is hanging around the conference room. Jason Todd tells the gang that he had fun hanging out with them, but he's going to head back to Batman's house. Bye, Jason! Donna is like, What a nice kid. I think he's going to have a long, successful career as Robin. Uh, yeah. Speedy needs to take a little time off to figure out how to be a dad, so he says he's going to take off as well. Bye, Speedy. Hawk is like, you guys suck, and it's stupid that you don't kill people. So long, suckers. I'm off to go murder some criminals. Hooray! I mean, hooray that he's leaving, not hooray that he's gonna kill people. Wally is like, man, what a whiny self-centered asshole. And I know a thing or two about being a whiny self-centered asshole. Am I right, guys? Anyway, I figure I'm gonna stick around for a little while if that's okay. Aqualad is like, yeah, me too, I guess. I figure this place is as good as any to practice my newfound sea strength and nihilism. Whatever. Hooray! Jericho pops in and signs that he's done symbolically leaving paintings out in the rain and is ready to rejoin the team. Hooray! Everyone heads to the pool room to have a celebratory workout together. Meanwhile, in a nearby bank... Cyborg and Beast Boy are in line with Vic's physical therapist slash potential love interest, Dr. Sarah Charles. They're waiting to make a withdrawal when some dudes with machine guns rush in and announce that they're gonna rob the place. Vic and Gar leap into action and foil the attempted robbery, sassing the shit out of the would-be thieves in the process. After turning the defeated crooks over to the police, Vic, Gar, and Sarah head outside and talk about what a fun fight they just had. Gar bumps into his old, maybe, girlfriend Jillian, who has recently returned from England. As the two teens exchange banter, Dr. Charles excuses herself so that she can go make a phone call. She returns in a few minutes and tells Vic and Gar that they need to head to Star Labs because she has a surprise waiting for them there. Sarah, most of the surprises that Vic has experienced at Star Labs have either been invasive surgeries or an extra-dimensional fart monster eating his mom and most of his organs. Maybe you could just tell him what's up? Or spring your big news at, like, I don't know, the Cheesecake Factory or something? It turns out, Sarah's surprise is that Wonder Girl and the rest of the gang is waiting at Star Labs for them. Donna wants to apologize for not being more supportive before, and asks Beast Boy and Cyborg to rejoin the team. They happily accept both the apology and the offer. Hooray! Meanwhile, half a globe away, in the fictional Middle Eastern country of Karak, a dramatic event is taking place. Hmm. Middle East in a 1980s comic book, huh? Let's see if we can guess what this dramatic event is. Is a brilliant scientist making a groundbreaking discovery that could change the world for the better? Was a good-hearted but socially awkward teenager in an accident that granted them fantastic powers? No, of course not. What's happening in the fictional Middle Eastern country of Karak is that... (sighs) A group of terrorists have hijacked an airplane and taken the passengers hostage. Because, of course, they have. The Israeli government sends in a highly trained commando. The commando sneaks aboard the plane, shoots all the terrorists, and tells the pilot to fly them to safety. The pilot does as he is instructed, only one of the terrorists wasn't quite dead yet, and as his final act, he manages to shoot the commando. The commando falls out of the window because I guess someone left the window of a commercial airliner open, and his corpse plummets into the ocean below him. Bummer. A few minutes later, acting on instructions from Dayton Industries, a fishing boat plucks the commando's body out of the water and loads it onto a helicopter. Hours later, the chopper lands at Steve's secret lab. Steve is in full Freshmaker mode and launches into another rambling soliloquy about how sane and powerful he is. He says he's going to turn the dead commando guy into another member of his new team, the Hybrid, just like he did to Adonis and Angelica Ball. Then we get a full splash page revealing exactly what it is that he did to the unlucky couple. The good news is, they're no longer comatose. The bad news is, well, pretty much everything else. Steve tells Adonis and Angelica that their new names are Gorgon the Terrible and the Horrible Harpy with an Eye. The newly christened Gorgon has gray skin, snakes for hair, and his eyes look, well... Kind of like puckered buttholes. It's not great. Angelica looks pretty similar to the way she did before, only her hair is bigger, she has wings, and she's wearing a purple metal bikini that seems to be willfully defying at least a couple of laws of physics. I guess she's also in a constant state of intense pain, which is less than ideal. Gorgon and Harpy with an eye tell Steve that they think he's an asshole. But he just blows him off and gets back to tinkering around with the corpse of the Israeli commando. A while later, back in New York, the Titans are flying around the city in their jet, making small talk. Gar reveals that he's been taking sign language lessons so that he can communicate better with Jericho. That's nice. Suddenly, they're attacked by a giant humanoid pterodactyl wearing a metal diaper. Well, that's unexpected. Also, I guess I shouldn't call it a giant humanoid pterodactyl, because I'm not sure how big the average humanoid pterodactyl is. Probably pretty big. Anyway, the possibly regular-sized, which is still very large, human pterodactyl attacks the Titan's jet. Cyborg tries to take evasive action, but the creature claws the plane's tail and part of a wing off, which significantly hampers maneuverability. Gar jumps out of the plane and changes into what he calls a pterodactyl, but is probably actually a pteranodon, on account of he has that pointy head thing going on. Oddly enough, a few pages later, we find out that the probably regular-sized, which is still very large, humanoid pterodactyl is named Pterodon, which would imply that he's supposed to be a pteranodon, only he doesn't have the pointy bit on his head. Dinosaurs! Gar and Pterodon engage in an aerial battle above the skyline of New York, while Cyborg steers the badly damaged T-Jet so that it avoids crashing into any buildings or people and ends up splashing down relatively harmlessly into the Hudson River. Gar ends up KOing the gang's mysterious winged attacker by changing into a woolly mammoth in midair and landing his entire body weight squarely in the back of Pterodon. From a nearby hidden base, Steve Dayton, Gorgon, and Harpy with an Eye Watch with interest as Beast Boy takes an unconscious Pterodon captive. Turns out, Pterodon was what Steve turned the dead Israeli commando into. Steve turns to Gorgon and Harpy with an eye and is like, Dang, I was really hoping that guy would kill all the Titans for me. Oh, okay, Harpy with an eye, Gorgon, I want you two to go rescue Pterodon from the Titans and bring him back here alive. Or, you know, as alive as he was before. Um, Actually, a little iffy on his status in that regard, but you get the idea. Gorgon is like, fine, but what should we do if we run into your stepson, Beast Boy? When he hears this question, Steve Dayton gets an even wilder than usual look in his eyes, which is saying something, and it's like, if you see Gar, just beat the absolute shit out of him. Then beat him up some more. Then beat him up some more. Then kill him. Now, if you have any more questions, I'll be in my lab. Making more freaks, blowing up rats with my mind, and ranting about how sane I am. If Gorgon and Harpy with an I have any more questions, they keep them to themselves. To be continued. I wonder if Harpy with an I spells her name that way, because at one point, she said she didn't want to do something, and Steve Dayton tried to stress to her the importance of teamwork by saying, there's no I in Harpy, and she was like, guess what there is now, asshole. It's probably something like that. Either that or she decided to add an eye to her name to try to make up for the fact that her husband had his eyes turned into puckered grey buttholes. Nah, if that was the case, she'd be harpy with two eyes. So it's probably the anti teamwork thing. Good for her. And joining us once again via the magic of telephonic communication is my good-for-many-things brother, Corey. Corey, how's it going?
1: It's going pretty great. How are you going?
0: Oh, I'm doing okay. Happy birthday. Thank you, thank you. I spent the morning, in your honor, sullenly nursing a cup of coffee while baking you a pie not made out of steel.
1: That warms the cockles of my heart.
0: Glad to hear it. You been having a good birthday so far?
1: yeah it's awesome we're at the oregon coast enjoying summerish weather and uh it's beautiful
0: very nice well uh you ready to talk about a comical book
1: i am so ready
0: okay Corey, what did you think of this comic book
1: ah man i love the cover of this comic this might be my favorite cover ever
0: wow Yeah, I like it a lot, too. I don't think it quite rises to that level for me, but it's definitely a very good one. It's by Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. It is a black and red and white image of the hybrid. Do you want to describe it more?
1: Sure. It's got Mento and his three. Are all of the soldiers he's creating hybrids of some sort? It seems that way.
0: Yeah, although it's not entirely clear what they are a hybrid of, necessarily.
1: Yeah. He's got Batboy, like a really scary Batboy, called <laughs> Petrodon? Terradon. Terradon.
0: I had not put that together, but you're right, he very much does look like a grown-up purple version of Batboy from the Weekly World News.
1: Mm-hmm. Pretty scary. So, Terradon, Bat Batboy is flying at you out of the top left-hand corner, very menacing, and then... Off in the background, there's, in heavy shadow, Mento the Freshmaker in his new wheelchair with the blanket over his legs. hmm And he's flanked by his two other hybrids, Gorgon the Terrible and Harpy with an eye.
0: <laughs> right, so that she gets to dot it with a little heart. hmm Or maybe a skull, depending. I will say that the silhouette of Gorgon looks just kind of like Raggedy Andy. Mm-hmm. So maybe a little bit less menacing than certainly grown-up boy.
1: Yeah, definitely less menacing, but very muscular, you know, kind of superhero-y. I don't understand the thing. Is there a deal where, like, if you are assembling a team and you have strong psychic or other mental abilities, you must then be in a wheelchair?
0: See, I'm a little bit unclear on that myself. I don't remember Mento being physically injured at any point. I think... Certainly his experience in Swamp Thing 50 seemed to take something out of him, or rather perhaps put something in him which was knowledge that his feeble human mind could not handle. But it doesn't seem like that should necessarily translate to loss of use of his legs. My suspicion is that he is trying so hard to recreate Doom Patrol that he is trying to cosplay as the leader of doom patrol niles calder mm-hmm. who happened to be in a wheelchair and so you see he grows a beard which he didn't have before which uh which niles calder the chief does have mm-hmm. and he is now in a wheelchair which is a pretty distasteful element of cosplay if that is what's going on
1: yeah and he does name drop calder a couple times but i guess i was thinking of that but then also you know like doctor x um
0: I believe he's usually called Professor X, but he probably does have a doctorate. Oh, God.
1: (laughs) Jan Miles are going to kill me. (laughs) Yeah, Professor X. I don't know why I called him Dr. X. I like that. Yeah,
0: it's a cool name.
1: Yeah, Dr. Professor. You know, that's, was that some sort of a theme?
0: Uh, it, It absolutely is. And in fact, there are allegations because there are so many corollaries between Doom Patrol and the X Men. And I think Doom Patrol came out just a few months before the first issue of X-Men. So oftentimes, people accuse the X-Men of being a attempt to cash in on Doom Patrol that then ended up outstripping them in popularity later on. But there are a lot of corollaries between the two teams. I don't think that's actually the case, but uh, yeah, it is kind of a theme. Mm. It's also just kind of a more general theme in comic books that if you have a character who is... Big and tough and strong, they are going to be stupid. And if you have a character who is physically infirm in some way, they're going to be extra super smart. So I think having mental powers is kind of an outgrowth of that. Okay. So yeah, that's the cover. It is indeed. And behind that cover, we get a story called Hell is the Hybrid, which is fun. Mm -hmm. I had always thought that hell was for children. But maybe by the transitive property, the hybrid are for children, although that doesn't necessarily seem to be the case from this issue. Also, if the hybrid is for children, they're going to have some competition because it's my understanding that the Wu-Tang is for the children.
1: Hmm. Yeah, no, that's a lot of extrapolation.
0: I will say, despite its somewhat foreboding title, this is the most fun issue of New Teen Titans we have had in a very long time. Absolutely. Yeah, reunion. Warm and fuzzy reunion. Uh-huh kicking off some of the more toxic elements of the team and keeping others that I wasn't expecting. So that was a nice deal. Uh, We get a fun bank robbery foiling. We get some good banter. There's some really fun stuff in this issue, and it is kind of a nice return to form after a couple of pretty heavy issues that we've had lately.
1: Totally. Yeah. Gar has learned to go for the eyes. That's a little weird, but... He was great, actually, in this issue, you know, compared to normal.
0: No, it was a really fun surprise. And I was also excited to see the return of his occasional love interest, Jillian. Mm -hmm. I always liked her. And we see that she is back and is back to sassing Gar. So, yeah, overall, I think really, really fun issue with a lot of like kind of upswing moments. I suspect that this is not necessarily going to be sustained because we do still need to resolve the whole brother blood raven nightwing story arc, which is decidedly darker in tone than the story we're getting here.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Like I said, it wasn't perfect because there are also some kind of uncomfortable moments of like homophobia and anti. Arab negative stereotyping. But overall, this was a very refreshing issue, and I really enjoyed it.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I noticed those things as well. I was also tickled by the fact that we had another group workout session, although this one wasn't just inspired by Donna's dancing. She was like pumping iron and everybody's all like working out together. Yeah. It was like a training montage. It was pretty
0: cute. It was very cute. And I also really liked the idea that it seems like the team is making progress. And now, instead of being made uncomfortable by a suggestive situation and having all the boys go to work out, everybody goes and works out together after Robin says something that I think makes everyone uncomfortable.
1: Oh, did I miss that?
0: It's not that bad. It just struck me as weird that as he is leaving, Robin's exit line is, whisper my name and I'll follow you anywhere.
1: (laughs) That was weird. Yeah. Yeah, that struck me as weird, too.
0: But I like that then the reaction is, okay, everybody, let's all, I think we all just need to work out. And Mm -hmm. they go and do that. And it is a nice moment.
1: Yep. And I was also happy to see the whole team kind of coalescing around this idea of Hawk as being just a total jerk.
0: Yeah, it is nice to see, I I think especially Wally kind of trying to score points for Unity by taking digs at Hawk. Because I think in terms of asshole hierarchy, he's kind of next in line. So with Hawk gone, I feel like he's going to be the next focal point. So it's nice for him to maybe get out in front of that a little bit by getting some digs in on Hawk while he can. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: I, I don't know. I think maybe Flasher and Speedy are going to jockey for position near the, the top of the ranking. but
0: Well, I think they would, except for Speedy left in this issue, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Speedy's gone, and Hawk's gone, and Robin goes back to Batman. But we see that the Flash and Aqualad are sticking around on the team, which is kind of nice to see and also kind of surprising.
1: And then we get a surprise arrival from uh, our buddy Jericho.
0: Yeah, so nice to see him back, too. Mm-hmm. And you talked about Beast Boy doing a great job in this issue. One of the things that he does that is really nice is when they are on the Titan jet, you see that in his spare time he has been learning ASL so that he can communicate with Jericho, mm-hmm. which is fucking rad.
1: And very surprising. He would have been one of the last characters that I would think would make that sort of effort.
0: Well, I mean, now that Aqualad and Jericho are on the same team, I think maybe Gar wants to make sure that, I mean, he can't be part of the uh, type perm bros crew, but he he wants to keep from being excluded by them as much. So I think that's a nice call on his part. And maybe he got to watch the same episode of Sesame Street as Ryan Durr did. (laughs) Yeah, could be. So let's take a look at the three members of the hybrid that we get to meet in this, because the Freshmaker has assembled his own Doom Patrol. And honestly, they are such an obvious stand-in for Doom Patrol, I was kind of surprised that he doesn't attempt to take the name the new Doom Patrol for them, and instead opts to call them the hybrid. I think part of that reason may be about a year from this point, there is a relaunch of the Doom Patrol title, so maybe... Editorial was like, you can't use that in your story with a team of villains. Mm. So I mentioned briefly, his experiences in Swamp Thing 50 seem to have marked a threshold change for the Freshmaker. It seems as though he has gone from being tortured and generally upset, madness as induced by his magic hat addiction, to full-on like Lovecraftian- terror from outer space. His mind has absorbed too much information and has snapped. Form of madness. And this version is, I gotta say, a lot more fun.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: He does have that, but he also has this really vindictive streak for Beast Boy, which is, I mean, that's, that's kind of how he's been, but it makes it even sort of creepier.
0: It does. It is as though his misplaced. I mean, I'm not saying it's misplaced to want to kill Beast Boy. I think we've all wanted to kill (laughs) Beast Boy at certain points in our coverage of this series. But his particular reasons for wanting to kill Beast Boy are misplaced. And it is as though all of his problems and all of the difficulty and trauma that he has experienced have just focused themselves around that one idea like a wick. And that his hatred for Beast Boy is, in a way, maybe the only thing tethering him at all to his humanity. And yeah, it's uh, really something. So he starts assembling this team of, I guess, dead people? Are they all recently dead? Or were the first two just in a coma?
1: Yeah, that's that's not really clear to me. But people who have either been dead for not more than two hours or Mm -hmm. had a brush with death,
0: Right. So the first two that we meet are the Gorgon and Harpus. I'm sorry, not Harpus. Harpus is the creepy parrot lady from Zoobly Zoo that's on uh, the Omega mm-hmm. Men. Yeah, no, Harpy. Harpy with an eye. And I think we are going to need to just keep calling her Harpy with an eye. Mm-hmm. So she is part of a husband and wife team of archaeologists. Who were doing a little bit of tomb raiding in the base of Mount Olympus. And things went awry because they, I guess, found Medusa's tomb and decided to start swiping shit from it. And one of the members of their crew got instantly turned to stone, but they got hit with a beam of Medusa eye contact that was refracted through a giant ruby. So they just ended up mostly dead until Freshmaker showed up and decided to fuck with them.
1: Yep, accurate.
0: Not sure why he decided to go with Harpy with an eye and Gorgon as their powers. I don't know if there was some like old mythological DNA lying around and he decided to graft that onto them or if it was just inspiration given their surroundings. Did you have a read on that?
1: No, I I couldn't figure that out. And also, it was fuzzy to me. So he's got three hybrid soldiers, those two, and then the Batboy, Mm Pterodon guy. Yeah, and then that uncomfortable uh, bit that you alluded to, where there's like a Israeli super commando guy who kills a bunch of Arab terrorist characters, Mm -hmm. and then falls out of the plane. Is he the one... That became the Pterodon, or worse, like Freshmaker saving him for later? I that's, couldn't figure that out.
0: My assumption was that that guy is turned into Pterodon. Okay. Yeah, his origin is almost exactly the same as the plot for Delta Force, which came out <laughs> in the same year as this comic book. Only I don't think at the end of Delta Force, Chuck Norris gets turned into a giant pterodactyl man. Which is kind of a shame. I think that would have been maybe a better ending to that movie. That's
1: a real missed opportunity.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, or if you don't want to turn Chuck Norris into a pterodactyl man, I mean, Lee Marvin's in that movie. Uh, I think Robert Forrester is there. I think either one of them would make a fine pterodactyl man.
1: Yeah, good call. And the other bit on that character is he's wearing a, um, like a, Metallic, kind of armored diaper.
0: He certainly is, which is a bit of a weird look, but
1: okay. So, yeah, and the reason that I brought that up is because you're asking about, yeah, how did the Freshmaker come up with the unique properties for each of these hybrids? Mm -hmm. And, yeah, based on what we have just heard, I have no idea.
0: Yeah, with that one, I think maybe it was just like, well, he fell out of the sky, so let's turn him into a flying creature. It's a little bit unclear, and frankly, I think a bad move in a lot of ways. Because you know what? Comic books already has a mutant pterodactyl man who wears short shorts. Doesn't need another. That dude is Sauron, and he is the winner of the pterodactyl (laughs) man-off. Good to know. I mean, if for no other reason, advantage Sauron both in terms of he named himself something aspirationally evil, like his literal origin is when he decided he wanted to be evil, he was reading Lord of the Rings and renamed himself Sauron. Wow. And also, he wears jean shorts instead of a metallic diaper. So obviously, Jort's Middle-earth name, Sauron has the clear advantage in this comparison.
1: Yeah, and I mean, maybe accidental pun on his name, too, because he soars.
0: Exactly. Mm. So really, it seems like the Freshmaker is setting this guy up to fail.
1: Yeah, but now he's going to go rescue him because of Beast Boy's
0: heroics. Well, I mean, technically, he's sending Gorgon and Harpy with an eye off to rescue him. Right. Which we don't really learn that much about them or what their powers are. We just see what they look like. Yep. Do you have any guesses as to what their powers might be? Well, the Gorgon guy, I would guess, can
1: make people into stone. Hmm. Harpy's probably just really mean. I don't know.
0: Mean and maybe some kind of fabric control powers, because the fact that her top stays up doesn't seem to make a lot of sense, seeing that the straps for it don't really seem to be attached to anything and kind of hover a foot above her shoulder.
1: Yeah, yeah, they seemed like magically, like rippling and floating in the air. Yeah, like six or seven inches above her, where her shoulders are.
0: Mm-hmm. I think maybe the original intention was to, yeah, maybe make some kind of a paper mache <laughs> shoulder pads for her, and that's like the the wire that you use to shape them around. But it's really unclear. And I guess presumably Gorgon would turn people to stone. I feel kind of bad for them, but honestly. Not that bad, because fucking leave Medusa alone. That poor woman has been through enough. She is such a tragic figure, and now even after death she's getting fucked with? Man, knock it off, guys. I feel like
1: that was much more on uh, Adonis, the husband of the team's side, because uh, his wife, who gets turned into Harpy with an eye, is being a lot cooler about the, like, she's Doing it much more like archaeological, right? She's like dusting off some old jugs of wine or something, and Mm -hmm. saying, "Oh, think of the research value." And he's just like, "Fuck that, man! Let's go get this giant gem so we can um, have money."
0: Yeah, he does like having money. Mm -hmm. No, I'm willing to say that he's more of the villain of the situation. But I mean, I don't know. How are you familiar with like Medusa's backstory? Um, No, no, I'm not. It is super fucked up, and. Content warning for the next minute or so, because I'm going to talk about Medusa's origin. It varies a little bit depending on what interpretation. The ancient Greek one, I think mostly she was just born as a monstrous woman who could turn people to stone. Either way, she's staying on an island minding her own business, not fucking with people. So Perseus going and deciding to chop off her head still seems like a dick move. Later on, you get the Roman interpretation as laid out by Ovid, and holy fuck, that's messed up. Mm. In that, she is a beautiful young maiden who is hanging out in a temple to Athena when Poseidon shows up and sexually assaults her. Athena sees that this happened and is just like, that is super fucked up. That should not be happening in my temple. I'm going to punish this woman. So she gives her snake hair and makes it so that anybody who looks at her turns to stone. And so she goes and she hangs out on an island not bothering anybody. And then fucking Perseus goes and chops off her head. Damn. And all of the gods give him shit to help him do that. Dang. Yeah. That's bad. So I'm saying on top of all of that, then you're going to even fucking dig up her tomb? Come on, guys. That's not cool. Not cool at all. So that's the the hybrid. We don't really see too much of them. But when they do show up, they seem like they're not too stoked to be hanging out with the fresh maker. And we see that he just doesn't give a shit. He is like if the Joker had a checkbook uh, <laughs> and is just like gleefully evil and really having fun with his madness which uh i got to say overall pretty fun to read about
1: yeah there was a little bit in there where i didn't know how literally to take it or if it was just him talking shit where he's describing how his consciousness is so expanded by by these experiences that he's had with john constantine and others that he knows that the single celled organism in some other universe is going to evolve into an intelligent race. That's going to give him trouble later. So he like mentally zapped that planet and prevented it from happening.
0: See, I think he's being literal. I also think that that is not necessarily happening. Mm. Like I think he thinks that that's happening, but yeah, we see a little bit of like fresh maker gases shoot out of his little mask antennas and puff out for about a foot radius and then dissipate. And he's like, there, just snuffed out an alien planet. I feel like if he can do that, maybe he doesn't need to make this hybrid army. Yeah. 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 Maybe he doesn't need to have a pterodactyl man beat up an airplane.
1: Yeah, that was my exact thought. I was like, okay, dude, if you can go blow up a whole planet just by squirting out some antenna gas, like, you definitely don't need. To pay $10,000 for a dead soldier.
0: Yeah, you really wouldn't think so.
1: So, yeah, I'm thinking that's kind of delusions.
0: Yeah, I think that's probably the safest bet there. What did you think of the bank robbing scene? As far as these things go, it was pretty fun. Yeah, some decent banter, I think, both from Cyborg and from Beast Boy in that. And yeah, you mentioned. Beast Boy started turning into bugs and going for the eyes, which was a pretty fun move and more innovative than we're used to seeing him fight. And I mm-hmm. enjoyed that.
1: Yep, pretty clever. Also, the opening scene of the uh, the robbery it looked to me a lot like He Man holding an M sixteen.
0: There was some great hair in this issue across the board. Uh, some of this is going to come up in sartorially speaking, but yeah. I would say maybe more Prince Adam than He-Man for the bank robber, but definitely that kind of a blonde bowl cup mullet. Isn't that the same hair? Yeah, I guess so. But I mean, He-Man wouldn't have needed the M16. <laughs> okay,
1: fine. Prince Adam. I also love in this scene that these bank robber guys are coming in there and they just don't recognize Beast Boy or Cyborg. Um, And I think because Cyborg has the uh, comics... Universe thing of if you're wearing a trench coat, nobody can see your head.
0: Exactly. He, and he's gotten lazy about wearing it too, because he's not wearing it with the fedora and it's a pretty short trench coat. He's just wearing it like a stoner wears a bathrobe. I know. <laughs> and it really does just seem like intention makes all of the difference, because I guess that disguises not just him, but beast boy who is just standing next to him being green and yeah these bank robbers roll in and you can tell they've worked out their pattern. they actually seem pretty chill they're like nobody has to get hurt you'll have a fun story to tell your grandchildren if nobody acts like a hero mm-hmm. and uh yeah there's cyborg and beast boy just standing right there and they're like oh um okay this should be fun yep Borgé drops some knowledge
1: after uh, well, I guess we'll get into that when we get to the Bow But he he explains what a cyborg is, a cybernetic organism, you know.
0: That's fun for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then they go and I we see that they're hanging out with Sarah Charles, his physical therapist, some more. And then they run into Jillian, who is back from England, and I guess not only is a trench coat a impenetrable disguise. But we learn that apparently blue hair dye also is, because her father will never track her down now that she's dyed her hair blue instead of pink.
1: Yeah, I kind of also got the sense that what she was saying about that was because she had dyed her hair, her father would be afraid to um, call her bluff about anything.
0: Ah, that would make sense. Although, it is kind of odd because she had been in England and they having blue hair, especially in the style that she has. It would have a kind of different meaning because that would be a color that old women would dye their hair. Mm. So interesting choice on her part, as was her use of pink contact lenses.
1: Yeah, you can't really see them the way it's illustrated, but it sounds pretty creepy.
0: You see them in one panel, I think. And then after that, it doesn't really show up. But when she first shows up, there is a close up on her face.
1: Oh, you're right. Yeah. Page 10.
0: Yeah. Which it it really is odd because paired with the fact that she has a more conventional hairstyle that is dyed blue and she's dressing more conservatively. It really is like she is, like, cosplaying as an old English woman, uh, but then also added pink eye contacts to that. You were older than me in, like, 87, 86. Were colored contacts as a fashion choice a thing, then, briefly?
1: I don't recall. I don't think so. Uh, The only exposure to even knowing that that was a thing that I had in the 80s was watching the making of Thriller. Hmm video where michael jackson's getting the contacts put in yeah i had never heard of that as like a i don't even think they were really commercially available but these are very rich people right in the comic
0: i wish she was taking more of her fashion tips out of fangoria magazine if that is the case (laughs) i would love that you know see jillian wearing some rick baker inspired high fashion There really is a ton more to talk about, but I honestly think all of it's going to come up in the minutia. Was there anything else you wanted to bring up before we get into the minutia? Uh,
1: just an observation, I guess, that um, the word maniac shows up like in at least two places in this issue. I don't recall seeing that as like such a common term. And I was wondering hmm. how that happens.
0: I actually didn't catch that. I mean... I'm thinking of a few different movies that had the word maniac in them that I think of as 80s movies, but honestly, they may have been 90s movies. I'm thinking of Invisible Maniac and the Maniac Cop franchise, but I think those may have actually been early 90s. So Mm. maybe it is just prescient of those and uh, is, again, owing to (laughs) Jillian's knowledge of Fangoria magazine. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, no, she's a real early Tom Savini booster.
0: Mm-hmm. you can tell yeah when were those used do you remember
1: when were what used
0: the maniac
1: oh well there's one on page five when a flasher is given a zinger to a hawk on the way out there's one in the bank robbery scene where one of the robbers is a zinging beast boy fair enough yeah there may be another one that i'm forgetting
0: Odd that it would come up twice and not be directed at the Freshmaker. Right. As he would fit the most general description of Maniac that we get. hmm Possibly those people are just from Maine, and we don't know that.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, not to be confused with late 90s, early 2000s MMA fighter, Tim Sylvia, the Maniac, spelled M-A-I-N-I-A-C.
0: Was he from Maine? I believe so. Well, there you go. Well, are you ready to get into the minutiae? I think we should. All right. Rick, would you mind singing us in? We got minutia. It's not the biggest part. It's just minutia. Like Corey eating farts, we got minutia. Time to sweat the small stuff. Thanks, Rick.
1: Indeed. Thank you, Rick.
0: All right. What do you feel like starting off with, birthday boy?
1: Oh, geez. A lot of responsibility. Why don't we uh, figure out who is the president of the drama club?
0: All right. I have maybe a kind of surprising choice for this. Which character do you think acted or rather overacted in the most dramatic fashion in this issue?
1: I'm going to start with my runner up, which was Wendy for the absolute horror that she's displaying on her face on page 27 when she thinks that the T-jet is maybe going to crash. Mm hmm. She's just gaping with, like, oh, no. <laughs> so it was funny to me.
0: That is pretty good.
1: But uh, I think what really takes the cake, and this harkens back to the hand uh, gestures that usually seal the deal for me. And on page 28, the fresh maker is doing first a claw with one hand and a fist with the other, and then following it up with a close-up, like, double-fisted, like,
0: ah,
1: thing. Yeah, And I think that that just put it over the top for me to go from one claw, one fist to double fists and, you know, really intense staring into the camera, (laughs) as it were.
0: I think that's a very good choice. Let's start with my backups, because I had a couple of backups, actually. My initial reaction was to go with Jillian, because when she first shows up, she does some pretty over-the-top hand gesturing and acting out of scenes. It's on page 11. And you see her like hold her hand up to her forehead and do another thing where she makes another dramatic gesture with her hand. And I think that was pretty over the top, but pretty fun. And I don't Mm. think it was as dramatic as Dr. Sarah Charles, who is my second runner up. She does kind of a subtle move here where she gets a phone call and it is the information that the Teen Titans would like to meet with Vic and Beast Boy at Star Labs. And she doesn't tell Vic that that is what the phone call is, just that she has a surprise for him. Now, last time Vic and Gar and the Titans interacted, they ended the relationship on fairly bad terms. Like, It's his group of friends who he just had a fight with, and her surprise is that they're waiting to talk to him. That is a weird move on her part, and one that, I don't know, I I feel like we gotta maybe hand her Senator Headband's toilet spoon here, because it seems like she's just trying (laughs) to stir up shit.
1: Yeah, I feel like that's an instance of the writers or, or the creative team forgetting that the audience isn't necessarily party to what the plan of the issue is, that it's this joyous reunion story. Gotcha. You know, and just being like, yeah, we're all in on this, including Dr. Dr. Charles.
0: Well, that's why my choice as president of the drama club is Hawk. <laughs> because, and it's just for one <laughs> moment. He's not in the comic book very long, but he does this move where, Robin has just announced that he's going to go home to hang out with Batman. And Speedy has just said, you know what? I'm thinking about things and I got to leave because I'm a dad now. And Hawk does this move where he's like, hold on, guys, don't go anywhere. And then follows that up by once they have stopped, goes and shoves them out of the way and says, out of my way, weaklings, I'm leaving.
1: Yeah, that was a good setup, man.
0: So he stops them from leaving, specifically so that he can shove them out of the way.
1: See you around, weaklings. (laughs) What a jerk, man.
0: Oh, he's a total jerk. And yeah, he has one of the uh, homophobic slurs that we talked about in this issue. The other one is from Jillian, unfortunately. But yeah, it's a really shitty moment. He also makes some statements about generally being in support of batman because of his brutality and uh yeah what an asshole
1: you know he says one thing too in that exchange that i just i didn't get maybe you've got to read on it it's before he pushes them out of the way he says hold on kid i'm leaving this chicken outfit too and not because my beak's too tight the fuck does that mean
0: i don't know (laughs) i mean it sounds like a thing. Man, he's got his beak on way too tight. <laughs> Maybe that's why he's being a jerk. It sounds like something out of like like that a uh, a forties private eye would say. Mm. Like this chicken's got his beak on too tight. Mm-hmm. And I guess that would mean that a uh, a police officer had refused to take a payout. Oh yeah, yeah. Because if you're taking bribes, then you're getting your beak wet. And if your beak dries out, then probably it's too tight.
1: Yeah. And then he started drinking.
0: Right. So Hawk is reassuring (laughs) the other Titans here that he is still taking bribes.
1: Oh, thank goodness.
0: Yeah. I'm pretty sure that's what that means.
1: I love on the way out, Flash says, don't forget not to write.
0: (laughs) Zing. Pretty good. He then has a, a less good zinger after that, where, where he's like, now I know how to spell maniac. H-A-W-K. Oh, man, I was, I was saving that one for the Bozone. I thought that was pretty good. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, tell you what, you aren't ready to move into the Bozone? I think we should. Okay. Corey, let's take this party to the Bozone. What instance of a character calling another character a bozo, either literally or metaphorically, do you think is worthy of highlight? Oh, sorry, I gotta turn that up.
1: Yeah, I, t- I tried to do it verbally, and it's not.
0: We got a double natty B in this issue, nearly a triple. Indeed, we did. First, we have. On page six, hey, there it is. Welcome to the party, birthday boy. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. So on page six, after saying, see you around, weaklings, and shoving Speedy and Robin to the floor, which is a very fun moment, I got to say. No, I guess it's before he does that. He says, you bozos are such wimps. My stomach's been churning since I got here. So we get that, and then one page later, we have Cyborg, who says, Corey, by the way, Bozo, the name
1: Cyborg, just after he finishes, like, throwing some guy halfway across the building.
0: And then goes on to explain that, as in cybernetic organism, you know, half man, half robot. So, yeah, educating as he brutalizes. Well done, Cyborg. Yep, good job. Edutainment. And then, as I said, it's almost three, because later on in the comic book, after Beast Boy has taken out grown-up Bat Boy, he thinks to himself, well, Bonzo here should provide some answers, providing I can find a way to speak with him. So, almost a bozo. It's a Bonzo instead. It's odd to hear that out of the context of it being bedtime for someone. (laughs) which it seems it would have been easy for him to do because the guy is sleeping. So I wonder if they had started to write Bozo and then were just like, "Uh, you know, we've already got two Bozos in this issue.
1: Maybe they're saying Reagan was a Bozo.
0: Well, I mean, he was, but uh, I I don't really see how that applies in this situation. But you know what? I'll accept it.
1: Well, he was the the Bonzo character, right? In Bedtime for Bonzo? It was played by Reagan?
0: No, I think Bonzo was the chimpanzee. But Reagan was in that movie, yes. It's still just, I don't really see how it quite ties to that particular scene.
1: I always thought that was Reagan was Bonzo.
0: I'm pretty sure Bonzo was the chimpanzee. Well, that makes sense. It's difficult to tell. It may, I haven't seen the movie. I've only heard it referenced. So, you know, it's possible that Ronald Reagan was playing a character named bonzo and there was a chimpanzee in it named harold or something like that
1: (laughs) well there's just no way to know Nope.
0: oh well well just have to live in the beautiful dream Hmm. that there was a chimpanzee named probably harold
1: got it yep okay i like it
0: uh did you have other bozos that you wanted to call out
1: Well, there was the one that I mentioned, where we learned that Maniac is spelled H-A-W-K. Pretty good. And I also liked that one of the bank robbers called Beast Boy a stupid, wise-mouthed Maniac. Pretty good. (laughs) That was good. Uh, Beast Boy called somebody a jerk face.
0: Always like jerk face. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, those those were good, but the, the double natty bees take the cake. Okay, let's get to one of the more jam-packed sections of this comic book, the timestamp. not going to ask if you found one, because I think it would have been difficult for you to have not found one, but which timestamp did you want to talk about in this issue?
1: Um, I think the one that stood out to me most is the Rambo reference on page 8.
0: Right, and that is Cyborg talking to one of the bank robbers, I believe, right?
1: Yeah, the guy says, and I wasn't a sharpshooter in NOM for nothing, you're dead meat, bam, 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 and shoots at Cyborg, and um, Cyborg replies back, dead meat, who writes your dialogue, Rambo?
0: Mm-hmm, I think that's a very good timestamp. The Rambo movie is very popular in the 80s, and specifically, the fact that he has that line means that he's not talking about the first Rambo, because the first Rambo wasn't so much big on the quips. I think you started to see that be an element of Rambo's character by the later ones, where they kind of gloss over his trauma and focus on him being an action hero, mm-hmm. which is why you have one of my maybe favorite disconnects in popular culture, the Rambo children's cartoon that was on in the 80s.
1: Oh, jeez. I gotta tell you, too, I don't, have you seen the most recent rambo movie have i ranted about that on this podcast
0: not on this podcast no i heard a description of it on another podcast that just made me just be like oh i want absolutely nothing to do with that pile of garbage i had previously thought it might be kind of fun
1: no don't it's not even worth it
0: that's so fucking bad but that's neither here nor there what were your (laughs) timestamps So we get Jillian referencing Bruce Springsteen. When she first sees Gar, she says, Gar? Garfield? It is. It really is. I don't believe it. Here I was dreaming about Bruce Springsteen, and I get the next best thing. Well, maybe the next to next, or the next to next to next, which is pretty fun. I like anybody digging at Gar a little bit. So I think that counts as a timestamp. Later on, Gar references Allie Sheedy again which is something he's done a few times. I think the Delta Force knockoff for C-minus Sorin's origin, the Dead Meat Rambo as well, and, I mean, honestly, I think you could kind of call the, light, the light-hearted homophobia in this as also a timestamp of sorts, although not as narrow a one as one would hope.
1: Yep, and the same with the, uh, Prominent
0: use of uh, payphones. Oh, that's true also. Couple of payphone uses in this. Mm -hmm. So let's move on to the other jam-packed category, sartorially speaking. We've touched on a couple of these in the main part, but man, there's a lot of fashion going down in this issue. Mm -hmm. What were your favorites?
1: Man, Dr. Sarah Charles, massive, massive turtleneck, which is like a white knit sweater, but almost like one of those neck braces that people put on after a car accident. (laughs) Like, it is a serious turtleneck accompanied with a turquoise uh,
0: business blazer. It's a pretty solid look for her. Yeah, I also did want to note the garishly Easter egg colored uh, keffias. That the the terrorists seem to be wearing seemed a, a little bit out of place, but uh, very very brightly colored. There, mm-hmm. there is also the aforementioned Jillian's outfit. She has dyed her hair a light blue and has pink eye contacts, and describes her look as it's the '50s and '80s come together to make a bold new fashion statement. Glamour. March 1986. You like? So both a timestamp, very specific one there, and uh, a description of her outfit, which, as as I said, it is fairly old-fashioned. She's wearing a yellow blazer over a purple top and jeans, but it's a good look for her. Very, very
1: colorful, and it did seem much more 80s than 50s to my eye.
0: I agree. There's also, of course, Harpy with an eyes, outfit with those weird shoulder strap slash I don't know scaffolding for shoulder pads
2: mm-hmm.
0: on page 11 there is a game of three card Monty that is being <laughs> run in part by a kind of unsavory looking fellow who is wearing a smiley face t-shirt
1: and uh, denim top to bottom
0: Yes, the old Canadian tuxedo with a smile black smiley face t-shirt. Yep. That's a pretty solid look. And I think my favorite one, though, is on page twenty-four, one of the bystanders in the Empire State. Oh my god, did you have blonde Doug Henning? I did. (laughs) I described him as bystander with big bass player in a cover band energy. But yeah, he is absolutely blonde, Doug Henning.
1: (laughs) Uh, Canada's favorite illusionist.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, honestly, you could probably also have as a timestamp the fact that the observation deck on the Statue of Liberty is not a non-smoking area, apparently, Mm -hmm. in this book, because we do see... There is a fellow who, seeing a giant pterodactyl fight in the skies above New York City, causes the cigarette to fall from his lips.
1: Mm-hmm. hmm Yep. Definite. Another timestamp.
0: Oh, and speaking of timestamps, there is one that I forgot, which is also pretty specific. We see that when they finish foiling the bank robbery, there is a marquee of a theater behind the Cyborg that is playing Amadeus. Oh, wow. And we also see in their coming attractions, there is a poster for a movie called Two-Fisted Action, which does bring into question exactly what type of theater they are standing in front of. Oh, no. Corey, every issue of a new Teen Titans comic book has an Aqualad, the greatest of Teen Titans, and also a Beast Boy, the worst of Teen Titans. In this issue, who was your Aqualad and who was your Beast Boy?
1: Yeah, this was a weird one because it's one of the few issues where we do actually have Aqualad, Mm -hmm. who by default kind of gets the title. But I gotta say, Beast Boy wasn't really too much of a creeper he had that LECD joke but that by comparison to his normal stuff isn't too bad and uh he learned american sign language and uh, jumped out of an airplane to fight pterodon and uh in general did a really good job so i think uh, beast boy was my aqualad
0: i actually had the same choice yeah, he did a great job. Uh, I enjoy him being more innovative in his animal attacks, using some spider and, I believe, hornet attacks on the bank robber's eyes, had some fun banter in the bank, had some fun banter with Jillian. The Alishidi one didn't bother me. It wasn't as specifically creepy as a lot of his stuff and seemed to be in the context of playful banter with his potential love interest. I thought he did great in this issue, and yeah, also ended up defeating a uh, adult bat boy. So, mm-hmm. good for him across the board. Conversely, this is. I, I didn't know your birthday fell on opposite day to day, Corey, but as my beast boy, I had Aqualad. Really? Yeah.
1: Just because he didn't get a chance
0: to do much, or? No, there is one very, very specific incident. Uh, Before I get to that, uh, runner-up definitely goes to Hawk. He was a total jerk, but he did also maybe do the single best thing in this issue, which was remove Hawk from the New Team Titans. So (laughs) it's kind of a toss-up. Aqualad, on the other hand, as you said, he really didn't do that much in this issue, but he did do one move, which I think is going to cinch the position of Beast Boy for him in this issue as the worst teen titan. He poops in the pool. What? I want you to take a good look at page six.
1: I just thought he was working out.
0: (laughs) Okay, he is Aqualad. So swimming laps in the titan pool is not going to be a strenuous workout for him. But the one scene of him we see when he is in the pool, first of all, he says, I need to go re-energize. And re-energize in bold. So, you know, we put some weird emphasis on that in the pool. And then everybody decides to go. He gets in the pool. We see that he takes off his uniform to get in the pool, which is weird because his uniform is basically his swimsuit. Mm-hmm. Gets in the pool, makes a face like he is straining super hard, and then hops out of the pool immediately and puts his swimsuit back on.
1: Oh, my God. And maybe, like, in that panel, too, uh, Donna looks like she's in the midst of, like, dropping (laughs) this giant barbell
0: she's trying to lift. (laughs) Exactly. She's disgusted. And Kid Flash doesn't seem to mind. He is the only one in the pool right then. I feel like it was maybe an act of retaliation on Wally for, in general, being such a jerk, which is—that's not an appropriate way to express your frustration, Aqualad.
1: No. Revenge pooping
0: is just for cats. Hopefully. (laughs) Should be. But yeah, Aqualad goes up to the pool, takes off his swimsuit, hops in the pool real quick, makes a straining face, and then hops out of the pool and puts his swimsuit back on. I don't see another explanation other than the fact that he decided to poop in the pool. (sighs) That did not occur to me, but fair enough. I think he has to get the vote for Beast Boy. Well, speaking
1: of Poops. Uh my note said Hawk is such a turd. <laughs> he is
0: indeed. I, I can't argue with that choice. I would say the only mitigating factor is that he did take Hawk off of the new teen titans.
1: Yeah, that's nice. But uh
0: And he didn't shit in the pool. It's <laughs> as, as far as you know. <laughs> oh that's a good point. What a jerk. Yeah. Hawk is definitively the worst. He always has been the worst, but He has found a way to step up his shitty, shitty game. So I'm almost impressed. But yeah, what a piece of crap. Mm -hmm. What was your favorite panel this issue?
1: I really enjoyed the artwork in this this book. It was really consistent. I felt the characters were well drawn and the, the buildings, like the background scenery was pretty awesome.
0: I fully agree. Yeah, uh, Eduardo Barreto and Romeo Tangal did an amazing job with the art on this. They have had really a great and really consistent run together on this title.
1: Yeah, and I, I think one of the more striking examples of that is on page 20, and it's the full page of uh, Terradon appearing with the, I guess that's the Chrysler building in the background with the T-Jet flying
0: in front of it. Yeah, it's great. I thought that was the Empire State Building, but you're right, I think it is the Chrysler building. Yeah, it's just a terrific picture. It's really, really beautiful. I mean it does kind of center on adult bat boys shiny silver diaper, but still, it's a remarkable picture.
1: Yeah, that is just so stupid. It it's is like why why would you armor just your butt? <laughs> I don't get it.
0: That's an area that needs breathability. Yeah,
1: don't encase it in metal.
0: Well, on the other hand, do you think that Pterodon has a cloaca?
1: Oh, probably.
0: I mean, hide your birdie shame. (laughs) Uh, You don't need metal. I guess. I mean, yeah, we've seen you can just wear a pair of jorts. Mm -hmm. If you're going to be an evil pterodactyl, wear a pair of jorts. If there was a Hulk rules for this issue, that would be it, I think.
1: Yeah, I, I, I can get behind
0: that. My favorite panel, I think, comes on the page right before that, and it is Cyborg manually adjusting his tiny super monocle. It's just a really nice image. It's a close-up of Cyborg's face as he gets out what he calls his telescopic eye and holds it in front of his cybernetic eye. It is very odd to me that that would be a manual attachment that he would have for that, but it's cute, and it is done behind one of those like manga-style starbursts in the background of Surprise and Alarm, and it's just a really, really great panel. Yep, yeah, I agree. It also totally reminded me of a toy that I used to have that was... uh, Do you ever watch the cartoon Silverhawks? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, you know, most of the toys for that had this thing where if you, like, clench their legs together, then their arms fly up into, like, wings. Mm -hmm. And it was, like, pretty cool. Well, Mm -hmm. the one guy who didn't do that... Okay, actually, there were two, because there was Bluegrass, who was their driver, who came with a guitar. But their boss, who was just, like, a side Dude, kind of... Shaped like cyborg in that half of his face was metal. But his toy, the thing that it came with was if you looked through the back of his robot half eyeball, then it was like a tiny reverse telescope. It made everything look far away. So mm-hmm. like it was like simulating his bionic eyesight. And it was pretty cool. And that panel kind of reminds me of that. So wow. It looks like the Silverhawks boss who really was kind of patterned after, like, the police captain who's mm-hmm. who's getting too old for this shit. Right. Weird action figure to make all the way around. Good to know. Yeah. Don't remember his name, but he had a short sleeve shirt with a tie. <laughs> like a space Mormon. Mm. Um, the other panel that I liked a lot is on page 25, and it's what I call Elephant Punch. And it's when... Mm. Beast Boy turns into a woolly mammoth when he is hovering directly above adult Bat Boy and uh, lands on the small of his back and punches him into the ground.
1: Yep, that was good. I had a backup as well that was page 17. I called it Three Evil People. The one that's got the Freshmaker in the foreground and then um, Harpy with an eye and uh, the Gorgon.
0: Right. I So I was unfamiliar with those characters for the most part, and I still am. So I looked up Harpy with an I on the internet, and it went to like, I can't remember if it's like DC's Wikipedia or something, but when it listed her, it had her her name, and then it said, alignment, bad. (laughs) Bad meaning bad, or? I don't know. I think it meant bad as in evil, but I like listing her alignment as bad, because it just makes it sound like she needs to get her tires rotated. Yeah, faulty. (laughs) Yeah. Alignment. Faulty. <laughs> right. Alignment. Due for checkup because it's been over 3,000 miles. <laughs> well, Corey, I have but one final question I must put to you. Wumchpoot. Mm. Doesn't exactly roll off the tongue, but as Aqualad appears in this issue and seems to have joined the New Teen Titans, hooray! We got to ask ourselves, what's Mr. Jupiter probably up to? The richest and therefore most trustworthy man in the world, Mr. Jupiter, in the year of our Lord, 1987, as we do go by the date of the reprints, and the month of our Lord, December. woom poo What's Mr. Jupiter probably up to? So,
1: I think in previous Mr. Jupiter sections, it's come up that, you know, one of the less savory ways that he's made some money is in arms dealing. Mm -hmm. And so he's feeling a little bit bad about that. And, you know, this being in the midst of the Cold War, he thought, what can I do to influence international politics to lessen the chances of nuclear winter and all these other scary things associated with nukes? He knew, you know... Speaking of Bonzo's companion, Reagan is very, you know, into a strong military, and and so what leverage could he get to influence Reagan to sign this upcoming treaty with Gorbachev on reducing medium-range nuclear missiles? So he met with Reagan, Reagan's uninterested, and he notices that Reagan's got, like, maybe even a, I don't know fetish is the right word, but he's really into jelly beans.
0: I think fetish is the right word.
1: (laughs) And he's running low. And uh, so Mr. Jupiter leaves and starts making some calls and basically corners the world market on jelly beans. And then um, basically gives Reagan a call and says, hey, if you ever want to see jelly beans again, you got to go meet Gorbachev and sign this treaty. And so later on, on December 8th, Reagan indeed signs the treaty with Gorbachev to eliminate. Medium-range nuclear missiles.
0: Wow. Good job, Mr. Jupiter. hmm Well, that is certainly one thing that Mr. Jupiter was probably up to, but he had a fairly busy December in 1987. It started off with him hanging out with a man he had been spending a fair amount of time with over the course of the previous year, Oliver Stone. Oh no. You see, Mr. Jupiter was the inspiration for a character that he thought should be called Marty Monitor Lizard, but Oliver Stone insisted needed to be called Gordon Gecko, the <laughs> star of Wall Street. See, Mr. Jupiter was very fond of the phrase greed is good, and he was in a lot of ways the inspiration for the Gordon Gecko character in that film. And so. Oliver Stone had been shadowing him for over a year. Now, right before the film was released, Oliver Stone arranged for a private screening of the film with just himself and Mr. Jupiter and a bunch of other super rich people, both Hollywood types and, like, J.P. Morgan was there if he wasn't dead. Is he dead? I don't know. Uh, Wealthy industrialists and Hollywood types are all at this big party in Mr. Jupiter's Jupiter Tower. And the movie's just about to start, and Oliver Stone's like, Hey, hey, Lauren, because that's Mr. Jupiter's first name. Before we start this movie, do you guys want to party? And Mr. Jupiter likes to party. So he's like, oh, okay, I got a beer bong. I'm going to go get that out. And so he said very loudly, oh, yeah, I'm going to go get my chunnel, which is what he called his funnel that he used for chugging, uh, which was a beer bong. But Oliver Stone and all the Hollywood types look at him and they're just like, what are you talking about? I meant we're going to do a ton of coke. And Mr. Jupiter was very embarrassed. A- and he's like, oh, um, yeah, no, that sounds cool. Uh, I just said channel because uh, I'm going to build a tunnel under the English Channel. And I call that the channel. And so that very day... He arranged for starting of construction on the channel that ran between Dover and Calais, France. The channel, if you will. And that is what Mr. Jupiter was probably up to.
1: Wow. You know, the ego is a strong force, and I guess if it results in channels, okay.
0: Well, when you have unlimited resources and you're trying to impress Oliver Stone, all things considered, it could have gone a lot worse.
1: Yeah, that's an expensive beer bong.
0: It is indeed. After the movie started, Mr. Jupiter did sneak into the other room and uh, use the beer bong some.
1: Man, that is just the worst idea.
0: Yeah, beer bongs are pretty dumb. Yep. Just shotgun a beer like a (laughs) grown-up.
1: That's also a bad idea. I've never (laughs) successfully done that. Really? Yeah, it just goes everywhere.
0: Well, you're going to make a little bit of a mess. you got to do it either outside or while standing in the bathtub. But uh, it's, you know, it's a good way to very quickly consume a beer without (laughs) tasting any of it. Yeah, you're right. It is probably a bad idea. Rite of passage. Yeah, I remember when your friends uh, decided that I should do that for the first time, and uh, they didn't mentioned that it's probably atypical to start with a tall boy of a darker beer. Oh no. Do you remember that?
1: I remember vaguely it happening. I don't recall the details.
0: <laughs> yeah. I don't know, man. They were signing me up for an advanced class that I was not ready for. Yeah,
1: that's probably true.
0: Well, thank you so much for joining us, Corey, on this most special of days. You're welcome. I hope that you enjoy The rest of your day, however you choose to spend it, I'm going to assume now that you've solemnly nursed a cup of coffee, there'll probably be some staring off into the middle distance. Yep. Sounds good. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I will get that pie not made out of steel to you tomorrow.
1: That is terribly exciting. Thank you so much.
0: If you would like to get into touch with us and perhaps uh, get this fella a birthday present, uh, you can do so at Tighten Up the Defense, P.O. Box Two Zero Three One One, Portland, Oregon Nine Seven Two Nine Four. As this oh. is the future, we can also be reached electronically at TTWasteland at gmail.com.
1: Oh, thank you for saying that, Hub. But everybody listening, your presence is presence enough. So,
0: so you want them to show
1: up at your house? No, their presence uh, is listeners of
0: the show. Oh, okay. Well, that that is probably more convenient. We're also up on the social media. So if you want to hit us up on Facebook or uh, Tumblr or Twitter or Instagram, uh, Lisa runs the Instagram page. You know, you can probably find us in one of those places. And if you can't, hey, why don't you look inside of your heart? We'll maybe be hanging out in there, having a time. Let's see. What are we doing in their heart this week, Corey? Uh, What were we doing last time? Did we barbecue? Uh, We made a pizza, I think. So, yeah, we had to turn on a pizza oven in their heart. Let's grill. Okay, yeah. So, uh, yeah, we'll be setting up a hibachi in the middle of the floor of your heart. Maybe uh, I'll be grilling some Impossible Burgers. I haven't been eating meat, red meat lately, and those have been treating me okay. Uh, how about you, Corey? What are you going to be grilling? I'm going to put on a steak. Okay, fair enough. You going to marinate that
1: steak? Nope, just... uh salt and pepper new york strip medium rare
0: Finish with some butter very good so guys your heart's gonna be smelling pretty good when we're done with it if you would like to support the show monetarily uh you can do that by visiting us at patreon.com slash tt wasteland if you do you get access to a whole bunch of bonus material There is the monthly podcast, What the Duck? A podcast most foul, but with a W, because he's a duck. That's the full name of the show. That is the Howard the Duck podcast that I co-host with my wife, Lisa. Had a new episode of that go up pretty recently. There's also a whole bunch of video reviews. Uh, I've been doing reviews of classic comics. I did one of Firestorm, the nuclear man number one the other day, and that was a lot of fun. And then more recently, I got mailed up big box of comic books from the publisher TKO, and so I've been doing some reviews of those. If you were interested in purchasing something from TKO, they did give me a unique product code, which I think we're officially a podcast now? I I think that's a stage in our podcasting bar mitzvah. We get a unique offer code from a... They're not a sponsor because they didn't give me any money, so if you don't use it, that's okay. But if you do want to buy something from them... It if you type in as a uh, as a product code Titan Up Pod twenty, that's two zero. Then you save twenty percent. So you know you can do that or don't. I don't get paid either way. <laughs> but yeah, it just poke around on the Patreon page. There's a whole bunch of stuff on there, whole bunch of reviews and some extra podcasts and the what the duck etc. So. Yeah, if you'd like access to all of that bonus material, you can donate. But mostly, it's just a really nice way for you to uh, let us know that you appreciate the work that we do and would like us to keep doing it. So thanks if you do that. A way you can support the show non-monetarily is to leave us a review in a place that reviews can be left, you know, wherever. Maybe try wherever you're listening to this podcast right now. Just open up that application and go to the review section and type in, Tighten Up the Defense is the best podcast that's ever been made by a human being or other primate. From Earth. From Earth. Yeah. I mean, we don't want to be competing with any space chimpanzees. And then, uh, yeah, maybe finish that off by saying, Happy Birthday, Corey. And then email him a cup of coffee. Is that a thing that can happen?
1: I don't know. It hasn't happened yet, but it's maybe a way.
0: Yeah. Well, I don't know. Get cracking on that internet. Start hacking the web, jack into the net, and email my brother a cup of coffee. Because that's what he loves.
1: I do like a cup of coffee.
0: There you go. Yeah. So thanks for all that stuff, guys. And uh, thank you for joining us. And once again, happy birthday, Corey.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Goodbye. Bye. And they knew it. I keep looking at my notes. I don't have anything pertinent written down there. (laughs) I don't know why I keep picking them up. Um, It's like, we've only done a hundred and something of these. You're like, what do I, what comes next? Dude, we've done, I think at this point, around 250 shows. Oh, okay. And I still don't know how they end. Um, uh, Another view. No, social media. And then Patreon and then review. Oh, Jesus. So you don't know either. (laughs) Well, I wasn't looking at my notes, okay? (laughs) Fair enough.